right, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles, turn them open, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, for those of you guys who haven't been here over the past several weeks, um, let me just kind of catch you up really quickly, okay? We've been in this series called Blessed, and we've been walking through the Beatitudes out of Matthew chapter 5, and over the past several weeks, we've been exploring a question together, and I raised that question in week one of this series, and, and here's the question we've been talking through. Is Jesus concerned with our happiness? That's the question we've kind of been hammering on um, every single week. Does Jesus care whether you and I are happy? Like, is he concerned with that? Now, here's kind of been our goal over the past several weeks. It's going to be our goal tonight. Um, I've tried to convince you that Jesus is very concerned with your happiness and mine. He is. But we've got to be careful because the kind of happiness that Jesus desires for us to experience, it's very different than the kind of happiness that our world around us offers to us and says um, we should pursue and go after. Now, this past week, I just thought it'd be fun. Um, I actually sat down and came up with a list of beatitudes, a list of blessed statements that I think if we paid attention to the world, this is kind of what they would say to us. If you remember in in the book of Matthew, we said that that blessed word is the Greek word, which means happy. So this is the whole teaching on on happiness. Here's kind of what our world would say, I think, and these are my list of, of beatitudes, worldly beatitudes. You can steal them if you want, but here's what our world says about what it looks like to be happy. Here's what they would say. They would say, blessed are those who believe they're good people. Blessed are those who live how they want and refuse to let anyone judge them. Blessed are those who are proud and step on others to achieve success. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for power and possessions and pleasure. Blessed are those who show no mercy. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on things of this world. Blessed are those who have peace by steering clear of trouble and blessed are those who avoid suffering and persecution at all costs. I think if we paid attention to our world, I truly believe that this is exactly what the world would say about our happiness and where it's found and what it's dependent on. Our world, I believe, would say in order to be happy, you need to pursue temporary things that it offers you. You need to live for the moment. You need to look out for number one. You need to do what feels good and avoid trouble by any and all means. Now, here's the crazy thing. Um, You read the list of Jesus... What he says about happiness, it's completely different, isn't it? Let's refresh our memories and let's read this together to see what he has to say. Matthew 5, starting in verse 3. Listen to what Jesus says about what happiness is dependent on and where it's found. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. And remember, that was about sin, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when other blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Count, rejoice, and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For the, so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says, 
in, in complete opposition to what the world says, Jesus says you want to experience happiness, true happiness, internal and eternal happiness. Not the kind of happiness that's based on external things, not the kind of happiness that's based on circumstances, not the kind of happiness that's going to run out when the temporary thing you found happiness in runs out, but true happiness. Jesus says if you want to experience True happiness, true joy, he says, it starts with you realizing what? That you're a sinful person in need of a Savior. He says, you've got to be poor in spirit. And then you've got to mourn the sin that separated you from God. And after you've mourned that sin and you've realized that it's destroyed your relationship with God, you need to start forgetting about yourself. You need to be humble. You need to be meek. You need to come to an understanding that God is the only one worthy of, of praise and glory and honor. And you need to realize that life is not about you so much. And then he goes a step further and he says, and you need to hunger to thirst to be like him. You need to hunger and thirst and desire his righteousness, and he'll satisfy you. And Jesus says, and then if you want to experience real happiness, after all that stuff has happened, what's going to happen next is mercy is going to flow out of your lives. And you're going to experience happiness because you realize you've received mercy, and there's this something in you that, that's causing you to desire to show mercy to others. And then you take on this heart, this pure heart that we're going to talk about tonight. You become single-minded. You become devoted to God. And then you run out into the world as peacemakers. Like, your life isn't, isn't, isn't satisfied or fulfilled unless you're running out into the world seeking to make peace between people and God. And then at the end of the day, people are going to persecute you, but it's okay. You're still going to be happy because you know it's for Jesus' sake and you know that there's a reward waiting on you. I mean, how different do these lists sound? I mean, what the world says about happiness versus what Jesus says about happiness. These lists are completely different, different as night and day. So here's my question to you as we dive into this beatitude for the night. When it comes to your joy and your satisfaction and your happiness... Which list are you bought into? Which list are you bought into? Which one are you believing in? Which one are you living out every day? Which one have you decided you're going to try to find joy and happiness in? Let's read this beatitude together. Matthew 5, 8. I think that by the end of the night, um, you'll be able to answer that question honestly and with clarity. Listen again what Jesus has to say in Matthew 5, 8. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed, happy, fulfilled, satisfied, content, blissful, fortunate. Happy or blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, to help us really kind of understand the statement from Jesus, I want to quickly repaint the picture of what's happening in the world of spirituality and religion during this time in Israel, okay? If you remember, I told you earlier in this series that in Israel during the time of Jesus, there was a group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, if you remember back to week one, I told you, they were the religious elite of their day. They were experts on religion. They were very moral people. They were great rule followers. They knew the scriptures better than anybody else in, in culture or society. They put a lot of stock and a lot of credit in external actions. Um, if you remember again back to week one, we, we looked at Luke 18 and we saw a great example of what Pharisees looked like. Remember we told the story of the Pharisee who came into the temple explaining to God why God should love him? Remember that? And he said, God, man, look at me. I, I've done pretty good, right? 
I'm not like all the other people in the world around me. I don't murder. I'm not unjust. I haven't committed adultery. I've followed all the rules. I fast. I tithe. I'm not even like the tax collector that's here with me. I mean, this is a picture of what the Pharisees looked like back in this day. They put a lot of stock in actions, in following rules, in being better than other people. So what you need to know is this, is when Jesus is speaking to the crowd this day, this is what they're used to living in the middle of. They're used to living in the, in the middle of a religious system that again says, be a good person, follow rules, do good things, God will love you, God will be pleased with you. So, so you've got to think, the average guy on the street, he's probably discouraged. I mean, it's got to be a tiring, hopeless place for Joe Schmo to be at the end of the day, Right? I mean, you think about it, this guy, average guy, he finding, he's finding himself constantly trying to prove himself to God through being good. And then he looks at the Pharisee, the expert on religion, and he, he kind of starts feeling bad again because this guy's way better than him. He's doing a better job. And so every time so-and-so thinks they're doing all right, they look down the street and they see somebody else doing better. And, you know, there's this question in the back of their minds, does God really accept me? God, does God really love me? Have I done enough? Have I followed enough rules? This is God be a tiring place to be. So they're living in the middle of this system. Now it's interesting that when Jesus shows up, Jesus doesn't say to this crowd listening in the midst of of this kind of religious world, he doesn't show up and say, blessed are those whose external actions and good works make God accept them, right? The Pharisees could have sat back and went, that's us. Awesome. We're doing just fine. We're doing great. No, no, what Jesus says instead is this. He says, forget about actions for a minute. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those are the people that are going to see God. You see, this one statement, Matthew 5, 8, turns this pharisaical religious way of thinking on its head. Here's what Jesus is literally saying to the crowd listening to him. He is saying that outward actions, external actions, following rules don't really mean much. Jesus says it's the condition of the heart that really matters. Students, look at me tonight. Listen to me. God couldn't care less about your actions if he doesn't have your heart. He couldn't. He doesn't care. I mean, we we can try all night long to show God how good we are. If he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't care how good you are. He doesn't care how moral you are. He doesn't care how many rules you've followed. If he doesn't have your heart, he could care less about you trying to prove yourself to him. Um, Let me give you an example of this from Matthew 23. Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking specifically to a group of Pharisees, to a group of guys who, again, believe that if I just do good things, God will accept me, right? I mean, their hearts, there's not a lot of affection in their hearts toward the Lord, but man, they're going to prove themselves through doing good stuff. Well, Jesus in Matthew 23 clearly and strongly makes a statement to the Pharisees to say, it doesn't matter what you do if God doesn't have your heart. Listen to what he says to them. Uh, This is why I love Jesus, because he'll get fired up in a minute. Listen to this. He says, woe to you. You know what that word woe means? He's cursing them. He's calling a curse down on them. He's going, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. It's a pretty strong opening statement, right? I don't think Jesus was very much of a seeker-sensitive kind of preacher. I mean, he just calls these people out. 
Woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And now listen to what he says. And, and we should have this, this verse up here, Jacob, if you want to throw it up. Here it is. Look at this. He goes, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Now, now Jesus, you can leave this verse up for a minute. Jesus is looking at these guys and he's going, can, can I tell you, you hypocrites, what you're like? He goes, man, you're like these tombs who've been cleaned up and prettied up on the outside. Like if I were to take a stroll through a graveyard, I would look at this tomb and I'd go, man, that's pretty nice. Somebody put some effort in that. Somebody probably paid a lot of money to make that thing look as good as it does. But Jesus goes, but if I were to open that thing up, all I would find on the inside is death and disgusting dead people's bones, uncleanness, things that would repulse me and be disgusting. Jesus is looking at these people and he's going, that's kind of what you're like. You're like whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, inside you're disgusting. And you, you look at the end of this verse, he goes, you appear outwardly righteous to others, but within there's nothing but hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is making a point here. And his point again is this. It doesn't matter what's coming out of your life externally if what's on the inside is full of death and sinfulness and hypocrisy. God doesn't care about your actions, how good they are, how cleaned up you are, if he doesn't have your heart. You see, one of the lies of the enemy is this, is no, 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 no. You can do good things and come to church and go on trips and do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, that will make up for the lack of affection you have toward Jesus. Jesus goes, no, 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 you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. I don't want your actions if I don't have your heart. I don't care how prettied up you are. On the inside, you're full of death and hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's not what I'm looking for. I want your heart. This is a strong statement from Jesus to the Pharisees. Here's my question for you tonight. Here's my question. How's your heart? How's your heart? This question is going to take us all night. This question is the only question that we're going to talk about in small groups tonight. So I hope that you'll be honest now as you sit here. Think about this. How is your heart. Again, I think a lot of times when we ask this question, when we ask about people's relationship with God, our responses tend to always go toward external actions, don't they? Like if I said, so-and-so, Greg, how's your relationship with the Lord? Now, I don't think this about Greg because I know Greg and I know Greg loves Jesus. But can you imagine, I mean, a lot of our conversations typically go like this. Man, how's your relationship with the Lord? Dude, awesome. I go to church every week. Um, I'm serving in ministry. Um, I, I serve at a downtown homeless shelter. I'm going to Rush. I went on the mission trip. Um, I read my Bible at least three or four times a week. Man, awesome, awesome. Okay, that's great. Um, but that doesn't answer the question. If God is interested in the condition of your heart, then we've got to stop talking about action so much. Let's quit focusing on the outside and answer the question that I'm asking tonight. How is your heart? Let me ask it like this. Do you love Jesus? Do you truly love him? 
Like, does he truly have your affection? I don't care what you do. How is your heart tonight? And I want you right now in your heart and in your mind to answer that question honestly. I'm even going to do you a favor. I'm going to help you to answer that question a little more easily by explaining this verse in a little more detail. In Matthew 5, 8, that word that Jesus uses for heart, it comes from a Greek word that refers to a person's thinking, a person's will, and a person's emotions. The Jews believed that a person's heart was at the center of all of these things. That's why if you open the Bible, you read um, verses like Proverbs 4.23, you find... Um, you find Solomon saying, keep your heart with all vigilance or guard your heart for from, from it flow the springs of life. The Jewish people believed that everything a person thought, everything a person believed, everything a person felt, every decision a person would make flowed from their heart. So this is, this is everything about a person. Now the word pure there means to cleanse from filth. It means unadulterated. It means unalloyed. It means unmixed. So, so let me make it simple. What Jesus is saying in this verse is this. Happy are those who are unmixed in their thinking, their will, and their emotions. Jesus is teaching that people that are happy in this life are those who are single-minded in their devotion to Him. That in their motives, that in their actions, that in their thinking, they are focused on Jesus and Him alone. So let me ask you the question again. How is your heart tonight? Is it unmixed? Like, is your heart set on Jesus and Him alone? Are you devoted to Him above all else? Is your motivation for waking up and living each day Jesus? Are your thoughts and your decision-making based on Jesus? Are your emotions and your emotional responses to life and circumstances founded in and dependent on Jesus? How is your heart tonight? How is it? Matthew 5, 8 is one of those verses that I believe forces us to be honest about what we're devoted to in this life. I mean, again, guys, we, we can show up here every week. We can do good things. We can follow rules. We can go to Rush. We can go on mission trips. We can go serve the homeless. Um, absolutely none of it will matter if God truly doesn't have our hearts. I mean, we're, we're wasting our time if we've gathered in the name of Jesus just to check something off our list or to make God pleased with us. If our hearts are not in this, none of it matters. This is why verses, I, I share with you this at the beginning of the year from Matthew 7. Remember this? Where Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says there's coming a day when all this is going to be over. Life here on earth as we know it is done. And we all stand before him face to face for the first time. And Jesus says there's going to be many people standing before him on that day saying, Lord, look at all we did in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. We prophesied in your name. Look at all we did in your name. And you remember Jesus' response from Matthew 7? Jesus says he's going to look at these group of people and go, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let me make it easy for you. Jesus is going to look at these people and say, thanks for giving me your actions. I never had your heart. 
I see you did a lot in my name. I never knew you. We never had a relationship. You did a lot of good things. I'll give you that. But you never loved me. You were never affectionate toward me. I never had what I wanted, which was your heart. You never gave it to me. And and here's the lie that we buy into again is I can do a lot of good things, refuse to give Jesus my heart, and at the end of all this, he's going to be okay because I did things in his name. Guys, that is a lie of the enemy that will send you straight to hell if you believe in it. And I pray tonight that you don't believe that lie. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your devotion. He wants you to be single-minded in your love for Him. He wants your heart. And my prayer is that you would be students who truly give Jesus your heart. So here's the next question. How do you do that? How do you get there? How do you become pure in heart? How do you become single-minded in your devotion to Jesus Christ? Let me bring you back to the Scriptures. Again, and we keep going over this. I love what Eric said earlier on the stage, we sound like a broken record. Um, we do because we have a great message to, to speak and to share, and, and we're just going to keep sharing it. How do you become pure in heart, single-minded in your devotion? The Beatitudes tell us how that happens. Again, I, I've already said this once. I'm going to say it again because you need to get it. You want to become pure in heart, single-minded in your devotion to Jesus? You have to become poor in spirit. That's first. You have to realize that a relationship with God about it is not about being a good person. It's not about following rules. It's not about impressing God with your actions. It's about realizing that you are a sinner and you need a Savior and His name is Jesus. And then it's about you becoming broken over the sin that separated you from God. You repent of your sin. You change your mind about who God is and about who you are. And you let your heart be broken over the fact that your sin has separated you from God. You come before God, you mourn over your sin that's broken your relationship with Him, and He comforts you. And then you forget about yourself. Too many of us think life is about us. Guys, here's some bad news. Life's not about you. It's not about you. You pay attention to the progression of the Beatitudes, you see that life is not about you. We've got to forget about ourselves, become meek, become humble, and realize that the purpose of our lives is one, to be lived, to glorify Jesus, and to make much of God in everything that we do every single day. Guys, look at me. If more of us would live with the purpose we've been created for and saved for, churches and our lives and our communities would look much different. Your life is not about you. God puts breath in your lungs and gives you a beat in your heart so that you can walk into the world you live in and make much of Jesus. That's the reason you're alive. And when you start realizing that, you realize that Jesus saved you from sin and death and hell and only he could do that. No one else, nothing else, not even yourself could save you. Only he could save you. And then you realize that this life is about making much of him. Everything starts to change. You start to become hungry to be like, you just want more of Jesus every single day. You can't get enough. The more you get, the more you want. Life becomes all about Jesus. And guess what happens next? God starts to make your heart pure. He starts to change your heart. You see, it's through this process that God works on your heart and he makes it pure. You don't make your heart pure. 
You don't pretty yourself up. You don't clean yourself up. You don't pull it off by trying to be better. The Bible says, man, our job is to respond to God's goodness and his grace that he's shown us in sending Jesus to bring us salvation. And then we get in his word, we spend time in prayer, we press in to know him more, we come to places like this and we worship with other believers and God in the midst of these things starts to create in us a heart that longs for Jesus. God starts to rip the old out of us and he replaces it with new. He gives us hearts that are devoted to Jesus, hearts that love Jesus, hearts that want Jesus to be made known in a world that desperately needs to know him. This is what it looks like to be pure in heart. Guys, this is why every week we get up here and we remind you and we tell you, man, you got to pay attention to what Jesus has done for you. You can't miss it. You can't leave the cross. Like you can't go, hooray, I prayed a prayer. I I see Jesus save me. Now let me move on to other things. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. That message is what we have. That message is not only what saves us, but it is what sustains us, what motivates us, what encourages us, what pushes us on to live godly lives and to share hope with other people. There is nothing else but the truth that Jesus came to save dead and lost people when they did not deserve it so that we could know God and one day be with them for all of eternity. That's the message. When you get that, guess what happens? You start to love Jesus more than anything else in life. And in the midst of that, God makes the inside parts of you pure. Here's the even more amazing news. The Bible tells us Along the way, we're going to mess up. We're not going to be perfect. Um, Let me be the first to say, man, I have sinned. Um, I have probably, not probably, I have. I have sinned today. Um, There's sin still waiting for me um, in the future that I haven't done yet. Same's true for you. You know what's amazing? The Bible says this. The Bible says if we confess our sins, and this is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to do what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know how amazing this is? In our pursuit of Jesus, the Bible says that every time I sin, every time I devote myself to something else other than Jesus, every time I mess up, that all I have to do is come before God, confess what I've done, be honest about it. And you know what God does? He doesn't point in my face and go, man, you're such an idiot. Can't believe you did this again, you moron. You should feel like garbage. No, the Bible says God forgives. And not only does God forgive, but he cleanses. He purifies my heart. How insane is it to think that when I sin and I go confess that God makes me more pure than I was before I came? This should drive us to our knees every time we sin, every time we mess up. It should drive us to our knees to say, God, I screwed up. I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I did something wrong. God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me. Make me pure. Make me pure. Make me like Jesus because I love him more than anything else in life. God makes your heart pure. Here's the unbelievable promise. The Bible says that the people who are pure in heart, the ones who are truly devoted to Jesus, um, the Bible says those people will see God. Those people will see 
God. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Now, do you feel the weight of that? That those people who are pure in heart, unmixed in their devotion to Jesus, will see God. There's two sides to this promise. One is that there's coming a future day when this life is over, that those who have devoted their lives to Jesus will actually see God. We will close our eyes in death and open them in eternity and we'll see Him. I know a lot of you guys have asked me what my tattoo is all about before. Um, A lot of you guys know, some of you guys don't. This tattoo on my wrist It's an African symbol called the ladder of death. It sounds kind of weird, morbid at first, but in their culture, it's used as a reminder for people every time they see it to remember that they're going to die, that this life is going to be over one day, and that they will step into eternity. And in their culture, it's used to remind them to live for eternal things. For me, it's my reminder to know that one day I'll see him. One day I'll see him. And I don't know when that's going to be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. It could be 50 years from now. But again, I'm going to see him. And what I want to know is that when I see him, I'm going to have him look at me and go, well done, my good and faithful servant. I had your heart. You were devoted to me. Yeah, you screwed up. You were an idiot at times. But man, you loved me. You You truly loved me. And I pray the same is true for you. My biggest fear is that one day there are going to be people that I love who stand before God and God say, I don't know you. You never gave me your heart. And that for all of eternity, they will spend it separated from him. It breaks my heart. It kills me. It terrifies me. It terrifies me for some of us sitting in the room tonight. Because I don't know if he's got your heart. You do. And so again, my question, does he have your heart? Here's another part of this promise, and here's a way you can tell. Um, This whole idea of seeing God, you know if God has your heart. Because here's what happens. When He has your heart, when 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 it's unmixed in its devotion to Jesus, you know what starts to happen? You start to see God here in this life. You start to experience the presence of God in ways that just can't be explained away. With your spiritual eye, you start to experience and see God in everything. I mean, you catch glimpses of God when you're not even looking for Him. The Bible goes, blessed are those who are unmixed in their devotion to Jesus. Because even in this life, man, they're going to see Him. They're going to experience Him. They're going to feel and experience His presence. Is that true of you? Is it true of you? How's your heart? Does he truly have your heart? Here's what I want us to do. Um, If he doesn't have your heart, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to give him your heart. The Bible again says it's as simple as you repenting of sin, you understanding you need a savior, and you asking the Lord to save you, believing in what Jesus has done on the cross for you, that he rose from the grave to bring you eternal life. And in light of that, you willingly and gratefully giving your life over to him so that he is made much of through you. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to give him your heart. The Bible says you give him your heart, you get the kingdom. You get the kingdom. You'll see him one day. It's good news. Um, For those of us that would say, I know him, but I don't know if he's got my heart at the moment. 
Let's quit wasting time. For lack of a better phrase, let's quit screwing around and playing games. Let's get things right. Life is too short and there is too much at stake for us to waste time living for things of this world when we've got a message to carry to the world that Jesus is their only hope. So if, if you're a person tonight, I claim the name of Jesus, how's your heart? You living like it? If not, let's get things right. Get on your knees, confess your sin, ask God for forgiveness, and let him cleanse you. We have got work to do, and we don't have time to, to mess around with people who want to play games. I love you. That's why I'm saying this to you. We've got to get some stuff right. So can we do this? Let, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Um, and, and I'm going to pray for us. God, right now in this moment, I pray for those people sitting in this room, God, who have never given their heart to you. Maybe they're trying to be a good person. Maybe they're trying to follow some religious rules. But at the end of the day, God, their hearts are far from you. Father, my prayer, make that known to them right now in this moment. God, just open their eyes to see that. God, my prayer is that you press on their heart, God, that you... God, right now in this moment, show them that they are in need of your son, Jesus, to be their savior. Listen, if you're here tonight and you need to give Jesus your heart, there's no magical prayer that saves or anything like that, but you can make a declaration to God. You can say something to him like this. You can say, God, I want you to have my heart. God, I am tired of doing life my way. I'm tired of placing my hope and joy in temporary things. And God, tonight I see that you are good. I see that you love me. I see that you sent Jesus to save me from sin and death and hell. God, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want you to have my heart. So God, I believe in what Jesus has done for me. I believe he died so that I could be forgiven of my sins. I believe he rose from the grave to bring me eternal life. So God, would you save me? Put your Holy Spirit inside of me, God, so that I can have the power to live the life you've called me to live. God, tonight I give you my heart. Listen, if you've prayed something like that or made that decision tonight, I'm gonna ask you in a few minutes when you get into your small groups to share that with your small group leader. These guys are about to lead us in a song for the rest of us. If we need to get stuff right, can we just do it before we leave? Get on our face, wherever we're sitting, front of this room, whatever you need to do. Let's pray and ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us, to purify our hearts, to help us to love Jesus with all of our hearts. The song we're going to sing, I want us to be able to sing it and it be true about us. So let's get our hearts right tonight. Let's worship our God. He deserves it. Father, would you just be in the midst of this time? We love you so much. God, we pray this in your name, your name alone. Amen.